Hello, and welcome back to the Outdoor Minimalist Podcast. I'm your host, Meg Carney, and I'm an outdoor and environmental writer and author of the book, Outdoor Minimalist, Wasteless Hiking, Camping, and Backpacking. The Outdoor Minimalist Podcast has a goal to give listeners actionable ways to waste less hiking, camping, backpacking, and more during every step of their process. Your impact outdoors starts long before you hit the trail and goes beyond leave no trace ethics. You'll learn how to identify sustainable outdoor brands, how to ask hard questions regarding sustainability, and begin to shift and evolve your mindset to integrate minimalism into all of your outdoor pursuits. In episode 58 of the Outdoor Minimalist podcast, we are returning to one of my favorite topics of discussion, textiles. We will be expanding on several other episodes that have dove into textile production in the outdoor industry, as well as what it means to have a truly circular production model. So if this is the first episode that you're tuning into, I recommend checking out our episode list and doing a little bit of a deep dive into our apparel content, as well as one episode called Can a Company Be 100% Circular? To help me expand on these ideas, I had the pleasure of chatting with Bill Johnston. Bill is the founder and president of Recover Brands, a North Carolina-based sustainable apparel company. Recover Brands is a mission-driven company that creates environmentally friendly and socially responsible products. From producing premium garments from start to finish all in one facility to where and how the product is locally made, Recover Brands Renewably Sourced Collections deliver an innovative solution for a better tomorrow. Supercharge your dog's mealtime with Neobytes Functional Dog Food Toppers. Neobytes unlocks the unique power of cricket protein to promote firm poops, a thick and shiny coat, and everyday vitality for your pup. With a powder format, these toppers can easily be mixed into existing foods to make mealtime more exciting. Cricket, a hypoallergenic and humane protein, is not only a better option for your pup, but it's better for the planet too. Producing virtually no greenhouse gases and using fractions of the resources used by traditional proteins. Check out Neobytes products on Amazon and at eatneobites.com. Use the discount code CRICKET15 for 15% off your next order. And then use the code OUTDOORMINIMALIST for 10% off every order after that. So thanks for joining me today, Bill. I am really glad that we could connect and I'm excited to learn more about Recover Brands. But before we get to that, can you tell me a little bit more about how you got involved in outdoor activities and how you enjoy outdoor recreation in your daily life? Yeah, well, uh, first off, thanks for having me, Meg. It's great to be here with you today and uh, excited to share more about Recover Brands with your audience. So I've always been into outdoor sports. I've been very fortunate to have grown up in a family where I was exposed to the outdoors at an early age. I started going to summer camp when I was six years old. We'd go for a couple weeks and I was really introduced to to a lot of outdoor sports at camp. I've always also been really into team sports too. So growing up, I played every sport, every season and and was just constantly outside. But I I always really enjoyed those times in the summer when I would maybe have a break from traditional team sports and get introduced to sports like whitewater kayaking, uh, rock climbing, mountain biking, and and really just kind of getting outside. So I've been lucky to have been exposed to those things throughout my life. And 
growing up here in North Carolina, we're, we're really blessed with incredible mountains as well as an incredible coastline. So we kind of have the best of both worlds in terms of just exploring the outdoors. So yeah, I, I, something that's been a part of my my life since since a really early age. These days, I would say my, my biggest outdoor passion or, or sport is, is definitely mountain biking. And, and really riding bikes in general, I, I spend a lot of time on, on the bike. An ideal day for me is, is getting out on my mountain bike, but also, you know, it's a great sport that you can do after work and in the evenings, particularly in the summer when the days are longer. And then, you know, whether that's riding single track or recently been doing a lot of gravel riding as well and even some road riding. But those, the last couple of years, I'd say that's been my go-to outdoor sport. I also do a lot of running as well. I do enjoy running, but not near to the same level <laughs> that I do riding bikes. But I actually went for a run right before this podcast. So try to get outside as much as I can. And then, of course, love, you know, when I have more time going out for backpacking trips. Actually, recently just got back from a bike packing trip, which is very similar to backpacking just on bike. So, yeah, I try to get out as much as I can, but uh, on a day-to-day basis, I would say riding bikes is definitely my go-to. That's awesome. Yeah, I love North Carolina. I also love riding bikes, so all those things sound amazing. (laughs) Have you always been working in the outdoor industry, or is starting Recover Brands kind of like... I mean, I know it's not necessarily just outdoor apparel. It's kind of lifestyle apparel, but can you kind of explain that transition period? Yeah, for sure. So I actually started Recover when I was when I was 24. So I was pretty fresh out of school and, you know, didn't necessarily have a ton of, of work experience. But when I started the company, I was working for an outdoor adventure company guiding backpacking and mountaineering trips. So the company I worked for would take teenagers out for two to three week uh, kind of wilderness expeditions where you do extended backpacking trips, some a bit on various mountains. A lot of the trips I led were in the Pacific Northwest and then in Wyoming and Colorado. So a lot of the mountains around there. So I was definitely very much in the outdoor industry then. But you know, prior to that, I had had a wide variety of jobs throughout like high school and college. I've, I've always been somebody who's enjoyed working and, and worked a lot. So I've done everything from construction to landscaping to waiting tables to bartending. But when I graduated college, it was pretty clear to me that I wanted to get into the outdoor industry um, so much so that I actually went to work for this outdoor adventure company literally the day after I graduated. So it was kind of like did that. I continued to work for them for four years. And it was after the second year is kind of when the the seeds for Recover started getting planted. And I I started working on this business, kind of moonlighting at night and, you know, getting the ideas going. And then after about four years of that, I realized like, hey, this this thing's starting to take off. I want to put, you know, my full time energy behind it and have been doing it ever since. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about the inspiration for Recover Brands then since, it obviously was something in your mind for a long time, and then it has grown to what it is today. So what are the origins? Yeah, so from my standpoint, when I got out of school, I was like a lot of college students. I really I really didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. I, I did know kind of graduating, like, hey, I want to be, I want to work in the outdoor industry. But I, when I started thinking more about like a longer term career, like really where I wanted to focus my energy, the thing that I continued to think about was sustainability. I knew that I wanted to be in some sort of sustainable business through guiding trips. I, I really love the environmental education side of things. 
and was just really passionate about sustainability. And so that's kind of what drew me to recover. It took a little while for that idea to come together. You know, as a recent college grad, I actually finished college in 2008. So it was a, a terrible time in terms of the job market and the recession. So, you know, I, I think as a result of that, I started thinking outside the box a bit and thinking about what I wanted to do. And I had a couple internships that were very focused around sustainability. For example, I worked for a commercial developer that was focused on lead projects. So the project I worked on during my internship was actually a lead platinum hotel, the first in the country that was actually lead, or first hotel in the country that was actually certified platinum. So I was really thinking about it from those ends of like maybe more from like a a business standpoint or, or commercial. And then the job market was still tough. Obviously, the building sector was way down with the recession. And I was still guiding trips at the time and trying to figure out what I wanted to do and learned about the technology of using recycled textiles to make products. And at the time, a lot of those materials were going into other textiles like carpets and, and other harsher textiles. But in kind of my research and what I was learning is like, actually this this application could be applied to apparel and other textiles as well so you know continuing to to do research i actually connected with a good family friend of mine who's a friend of my dad's who's been in the textile industry for years a guy named john riddle and he you know agreed with me that you know the application could be put into apparel and that there were a lot of opportunities to build a brand around it and the two of us just kind of started brainstorming ideas and uh and that's really where the idea for recover was born funny enough john and i initially connected via my dad because i was I was talking about bikes earlier i was at the time living in Charleston, South Carolina, and I, which doesn't have mountain biking. So I was in the market for a road bike. And uh, my dad was like, well, you ought to call John. He's a big cyclist. He might have a bike you can sell or that he would be willing to sell. And so I ended up reaching out to him, bought a bike from him. And that's kind of how we became friends and got introduced. And that's when the, the ideas started turning of how can we use this technology to put it into apparel? And we were both really excited about it. And John had been in the industry for a long time. And I think was excited to put, you know, some investment behind a, a recent college grad who was enthusiastic and willing to, to work hard. And that's that's kind of how it all started. And, uh, you know, at the, I guess for the first two years, I, you know, it was very much a part time gig where we were trying to figure out how to make the product. We were having samples made, you know, continued to get better with each round of samples that we would make. And then finally, you know, the product was good and we felt like we could take it to the market and started seeing some success with it. And it has really kind of snowballed from there. That's awesome. And he's your business partner today, I assume. Yeah, well, he was as of about a year ago. We recently kind of worked out a deal where he was able to to exit from the business, but he's he's been a mentor for me throughout the process and really my partner for the first 12 years of the business. That's awesome. It's great that you had someone like that that was so experienced with yeah. textiles to help you. Yeah, it was, you know, invaluable especially as a, you know, as a young professional trying to to crack in as an entrepreneur, you know, I think it, at that time, it, it was really hard to go into a room and, and be taken seriously by a factory or, you know, when you're looking at making these these inventory purchases and asking yarn spinners to develop these yarns for you and, and all of these various things. It, it definitely helped a lot to have somebody with some experience and connections that could help get things rolling. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about 
just the company mission and things like that. So what does it mean to be a mission-driven apparel or textile company? Yeah, so so we, we've honestly had the same mission since we started. We've made a few tweaks to the words or verbiage here and there, but for the most part, it's it's been the exact same thing, which is to make the best, most environmentally friendly and socially responsible products and to educate, inspire people to live and work for a more sustainable tomorrow. So for us, that mission has kind of been our North Star guiding light for for everything that we do. You know, some brands might have a mission that's more internal and then they share their vision with, with other companies or their core values or those various things. But our mission is certainly part of our company DNA. It's what our culture is all about. It's, you know, our employees are bought into it, our investors, you know, our customers, of course, but everyone who's part of the Recover team and family and community is really driven by that mission. So for us, again, it's just kind of that that North Star and what we try to accomplish every day. So in doing those things, we recognize that it's it's really our job to constantly be pushing ourselves to do things better and and try to make things the most environmentally and socially responsible way possible. And then the other component to that is the education piece, and that's to, to educate and inspire people to live and work for a more sustainable tomorrow. And that part is is very near and dear to us. I think that goes back to kind of my origins of really wanting to get into this business of helping and educating people to be better stewards of the environment. So we want to, you know, give our customers alternatives, you know, to other products that are out on the market. You know, we want to, we want them to be able to buy something that they believe in. They know what materials it's made from, where it's made, how it's made. And then our hope is that they are inspired by what we're doing. And then they're taking that into other aspects of their life. Maybe they're helping their company or their school, whatever it might be implement, you know, sustainable practices into what they're doing, or maybe they're taking it home with them and they're, you know, no longer getting plastic bags at the grocery store. They're, they're carrying their own water bottle. They start composting. They're doing all these things to live a more sustainable lifestyle. So we're, we're really trying to, to educate and inspire people to, to be better stewards of the environment and give them something that they can believe in. Yeah. I love that. That's great. I think that it is always helpful to have more people in on the discussion and more places where you can access that information. So I like that you're including that in your mission. And one big thing that when I first learned about Recover Brands, the main focus really seemed to be around circularity. So can you talk a little bit about how you achieved a circular or closed loop system, and then also how that compares to what we might be used to seeing, which is like a more linear model. Totally. First and foremost, I think you, you have to recognize that any product you buy, whether it's apparel or you know other consumer goods, they inevitably have some impact on the environment. And it's what we're working on is trying to reduce that impact as much as possible. So we think about not just the materials that are going into our products, which you know are made with 100% recycled materials, but also you know where we're making the product and how we're making it. So we try to we really focus a lot on what we call our hyper local supply chains, where we're making everything from raw material to finished product within a really tight radius. So we have two 
made supply chains, made in USA and made in El Salvador. All of our made in USA products are made within a 250 mile radius of our headquarters here in North Carolina. So that's from yarn to finished product. And then in El Salvador, all of our products are made from yarn to finished product within a 10 mile radius. So by doing that and having these hyperlocal supply chains, we're significantly reducing the, the carbon footprint of the product, essentially through transportation alone. Just, you know, when you think about a lot of textiles and other products that where materials are coming from the U.S., they're shipped to Asia, then back to the U.S., the carbon footprint of that is massive. So we really try to, to reduce that footprint as much as possible and, and think about greenhouse gas emissions as much as we can. We also think a lot about water and energy. The textile industry is very water and energy intensive. And so we try to reduce those finite resources as much as possible. So from an energy standpoint in El Salvador, for example, over 30% of the power comes from solar. Another 48% comes from biomass. So we're really thinking about ways where we can reduce our, our you know, carbon footprint and energy consumption in, in how we make the product. And then from a water standpoint, we have a really amazing water recycling program where we send the water through an osmosis process where it actually is recycled and repurposed throughout. And we're able to achieve, you know, 80% water recycling compared to a lot of factories that are maybe around 5%. So we, we think about the water and energy that goes into the product. And the other part of water and energy consumption that's really interesting is all of the color in our classic tees, eco tees, and fleece comes from upcycled cotton. So none of the, the yarn is dyed. The color actually comes from recycled cotton scraps, which come from textile waste, a lot of which is post-industrial waste. So a lot of scraps that would otherwise go to the landfill. And then also post-consumer as well. So we're able to take back old t-shirts, break them down and put them back into the supply chain. And that kind of leads to the, the circularity side of things. So a typical manufacturer is making a product, however they make it. Maybe it's going back and forth across the world. Whatever they do to, to make that specific product, they sell it to the consumer. And then the consumer uses it for the life cycle of the product. And then typically it's done. You know, a lot of people will send, you know, products, maybe they send them to Goodwill or other like donation centers, or, you know, maybe they end up in the landfill at the end of their life or just stuck in somebody's closet. What we've tried to design is, and that's that linear model that you were talking about in your question, but what we've tried to design is more of a circular system where, and which we call our closed loop program, where we're doing all of these very intentional things throughout our supply chain, thinking about the material, the recycled materials that we use, reducing carbon, reducing water, reducing energy. And then once we make that product, sell it to the consumer, we have a closed loop program where we can actually take that garment back at the end of its life. So let's say you buy a t-shirt from us, you wear it for a couple of years, you you know love it to death. You, you just wear it and you're like, ah, oh, this thing is, is worn out or I'm, I'm ready for a new one. You can actually send that, that shirt back to us and we will break the fibers down and put it back into our supply chain to make more yarn and make more shirts out of it. So essentially when you become a Recover customer and buy one of our products, it has infinite life. So that's really our vision from a circularity standpoint is that when you are becoming part of the, the Recover community and using our products, that when you buy those and you know wear them out, they are 
staying out of the landfill, staying out of our ecosystems and coming back into our, our supply chain in a circular way. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for that explanation. It was very in-depth. Yeah. Sorry. That may have been a little bit long-winded. No, it's all good. (laughs) Um, It just brought up a lot of other questions for me, I guess. Yeah. And something that I think we have talked about a lot on this show and like other companies that we've interviewed, specifically textile companies for some reason, but they talk a lot about localizing the supply chain. And you mentioned a lot of really, really good points. But can you talk a little bit more about how you actually achieved localizing that? Because I think when a lot of textile businesses are starting, it's kind of difficult to jump right to that. You know, it's usually cheaper and easier to arrange more globalized supply chains. Yeah, I mean, the textile and apparel industry in general is is sort of the epitome of globalization. When you when you think about, you know, global supply chains being set up all over the world, probably as much as is really any industry out there where you can have, you know, a brand, let's say a brand that's based in the US, you know, they might buy yarn, for example, in the US, and then they ship it to China, and then it goes to Bangladesh for cut and sew, and then it comes back to the US for distribution. The way the industry has just been set up, there's there's factories all over all over the world. And a lot of that really started with NAFTA in, in kind of the mid 90s, where, you know, companies were essentially chasing cheaper labor. And, you know, you've seen it from move from kind of region to region. Our approach since we started has been kind of the opposite of that. We were we've tried to localize things as much as possible from the beginning. Certainly, there's a lot of things from having a local supply chain that are beneficial. Like if we have an issue that pops up or I just want to go check on production, I can literally drive to our factory or if we have an order that has a really tight deadline. Our warehouse manager can drive our sprinter van there, pick it up and take it to to our our customer, ship it out. So there's so many benefits to having a localized supply chain from a business standpoint and, and just proximity. And then because we've built a brand and a company that is mission driven and you know has a story behind it, we're not as I guess subject to lower price points where you have to you have to chase some of that cheaper labor in other areas. So we've been able to offer a very fair price, but we're able to pay to make things in in factories where we want to make that product. So there's a lot of benefits to to local manufacturing from that standpoint. And I think one thing that everyone has seen over the last couple of years really since COVID has been around supply chains. There was a ton of supply chain disruption, especially with goods coming over the Pacific from from Asia with you know container delays and all these things. And I think a lot of companies, textiles and other industries as well, have realized that there it's a very vulnerable supply chain to be so dependent on factories across the world. So I think you're you're starting to see a lot more brands realizing that, hey, we need to have some local supply chains in place for at least some of these things. And as a result of that, you're seeing a big push for nearshoring and made in the Americas, made in this hemisphere and all of these things. And we're fortunate because those were things that were already kind of part of our DNA and our company values from the beginning. And so we've kind of been a step ahead on a lot of those things. And we're very fortunate to have these local supply chains where we have, you know, really quick lead times. I mentioned El Salvador earlier. I mean, El Salvador is only a day and a half by boat to go from El Salvador to Miami. Our factory in El Salvador is actually 
closer to where I live than Denver, Colorado is as the crow flies. So if you think about it in that context, like we're making stuff really close by. And then of course we have our US supply chain as well. So we've just tried to keep things kind of close to home where we have a bit more control of it. And then we also love knowing who's making our product and them being part of our, our community. So it's really fun for us to be able to walk into the factory and say, oh, Glenda sewed my shirt right there. And you know, she's wearing one, she's proud of it. And we just love that community aspect of things where we're more hands-on rather than having a product that's made all the way across the world where we're just not connected to it. Yeah, that community aspect, I think, can be really beneficial, especially when you're building a brand and loyalty from customers and things like that. And I really like that more brands and companies seem to be shifting towards localized systems and circularity. But do you think that it would be possible for more brands and companies specifically in the outdoor industry to achieve that circular production model? We can focus more on textiles since that's your realm. It doesn't necessarily need to be like other types of gear, but textiles are widespread in the outdoor industry. Yeah, totally. I think they they certainly can. I, I think it, it requires a lot of work and you have to be very intentional and, and kind of patient in building some of those things up. I mean, there's a reason why you know, China has been the world's factory. You know, they have so much infrastructure there where, you know, if you're starting a brand, it is really easy to go to China or Bangladesh or all these other areas and say, hey, can you build this product for us? And they're set up, they have a lot of infrastructure to do that. And so I think it's been really easy for brands to do that over the years. And so if I think for established brands that have operated under that model, it's a little bit more challenging to then kind of shift course and localize things more. It can certainly be done. You just have to put in the time and effort to, to build out those supply chains because the reality is we don't have as much infrastructure here in the U.S. anymore, especially from like a, a skilled sewing standpoint. That's one of the, the biggest areas is just the labor involved with sewing products and, and building a lot of products. So that's certainly one of the, the hurdles. But I'm extremely optimistic that we're going to see a lot more brands coming back to you know, Made in USA and Made in the Americas as well, which I mentioned earlier, thinking about this hemisphere, because there is a lot of consumer awareness and demand for it. And there's some really great factories. And I think a lot of brands have realized there's a lot of benefit to doing that. So again, I'm, I'm optimistic that, that we'll see other brands doing it and, and also working towards that, you know, circular model. It's just, I think for us, we since we've been doing it since our origins, since we started the company, our, our DNA is so encompassed in local manufacturing, recycling, closed loop, that our brand has literally been built on it. And that's 12 years in the making. It's not something that can happen overnight. So I think for a brand that's looking at making a lot of these changes today, you know, they just have to realize that it takes a lot of work and efforts to put these things in place. And it's not something, it's not like you can say, oh, we're going to be circular and, and recycled next year when you haven't been doing those things. There's a lot of building blocks you have to put in place to do that. But I'm definitely encouraged by the fact that it's, it seems to be at the forefront for every discussion in the in the industry when you talk about sustainability, circularity, and local manufacturing too. So it's it's really encouraging that brands are, are thinking about it a lot. Yeah, and I guess you had an advantage of being on the East Coast. That seems to be where a lot of the textile manufacturing in the United States is located. I know there's mills other places, but there seems to be a high concentration out there. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, at one time, you know, North Carolina was the textile capital of the world. And there's a, there's still a lot of infrastructure here. But there are also in, in other parts of the country. I mean, there's, you know, look at California, for example. They have probably have as big of, of sewing infrastructure as, as anywhere in the country. So it, it's definitely in other parts of the country as well. But, you know, from, from our standpoint, especially with like raw materials and yarn spinning, making fabric, being on the East Coast and specifically in North Carolina is, is very advantageous. And you did also mention some of the hurdles that you faced like through that whole discussion, one or two of them, but what other hurdles did you guys have to overcome or maybe are still overcoming in order to achieve a circular textile recycling program? Oh, I mean, it's it's a constant work in process. There's so many different variables that go into it when you're thinking about fabric blends. So is, is the shirt 100% cotton? Is it a polycotton blend? You know, there's a lot of tri-blends on the market. So you have to really think about all of these different things with the, the materials that you're collecting. Are there screen prints on the product? Are there zippers? Are there buttons? All of those things you have to really think about with you know the sorting and kind of cleaning process. So that's a huge component that we're constantly you know, working on and figuring out. We have a great partner here in North Carolina where we're able to sort a lot of those materials and break the fibers down. And then in El Salvador, we're actually doing those things in-house. We have a, an awesome team in place where we're bringing in textile waste, cleaning it, sorting it by color, and spinning it into yarn all in the same facility. And that's really pretty state-of-the-art. As far as I'm aware, I, I don't know of anyone else doing that, especially to that level of, of being truly vertical from taking in recycled materials and making finished garments in the same location. So we're, we're pretty unique in that aspect, but it's, it's, again, it's constantly just tweaking it, figuring out what materials work best, how we can process different colors and different blends. So it's a lot like the way I would describe sustainability in general. You're never really there. You kind of constantly have to be working to improve. And uh, you know, circularity is certainly the exact same way. Yeah, I'm glad you said that. There always is room to grow. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> and from my understanding of Recover Brands, everything that you make is from a recycled material. You're not using any virgin materials, correct? Well, we do have one line of virgin materials. So okay. for the most part, all of our products are, are about 90 7% of our products are made with recycled plastic and recycled cotton. But then we also have an organic cotton line. It's been really popular for us. We we launched it about three or four years ago now. And we actually did it in, because we wanted to have at least one product line that is 100% natural fibers. So with our organic cotton line, it's all USDA certified organic cotton, which means the cotton was grown here in the U.S. So it's farmed milled and sewn in the U.S. So that's part of our, our U.S. supply chain where we're making the entire garment right here in the Southeast. So that is one natural fiber that we use. But other than that, everything is recycled. Awesome. Yeah. Organic cotton is still a great material to use. Since your main focus, I guess I shouldn't say your main focus, but one of your main areas that the brand seems to focus on is to divert plastic bottles from landfill or other areas and just to reuse plastics in general. So why did you choose that route of textiles, I guess? Yeah. So when we first started back in 2010, you know, one of the goals of the company was to be a solution to, to plastic pollution. 
there's so much excess plastic out there and we wanted to provide a way to repurpose the plastic that was already in circulation and put it back into products that would have you know long lasting life so that was a that was a big initiative right out of the gate as was using recycled cotton. And the recycled cotton aspect for us is is one thing that makes us really unique. We're actually taking post-industrial and post-consumer cotton, breaking those fibers down and blending it with recycled plastic to create a lot of our our signature products. So for us, like when we were uh, kind of back to the plastic aspect of things, we felt like that was a really good vehicle to tie into the education part of our mission and in terms of just educating and inspiring consumers to be better stewards of the environment. And we still see it a lot where a customer will learn that, hey, this t-shirt is made with eight plastic bottles. And it's kind of that light bulb moment for them where they're like, oh, wow, I can, I need to be recycling and I need to reduce my consumption and need to be doing all these other things to reduce their impact. And so it's it's a big educational tool for us to show why, you know, reducing plastic and keeping out of our ecosystems out of our landfills is really important. Yeah, that makes sense. Can you also explain a little bit of how that process works for both of them? So like, how do you take the plastic bottle or the returned clothing product or synthetic clothing product and turn that into new apparel? And then how do you also do that for cotton? So like the recycled cotton, I would assume is coming from another textile. So how does that process work? Yeah. So recycled plastic that we use is is mostly coming from, from post-consumer waste. So literally water bottles, Coke bottles, Gatorade bottles, milk jugs, basically all the number ones that you see that go into the recycling bin. There's a facility here in North Carolina that actually takes that plastic back. So a lot of it comes from local recycling municipalities. Then like waste management, for example, might buy it and then send it to this recycling center where it's then washed, sorted by color, stripped of labels, caps, all of those things. And then the the once the bottles are and in, in plastic is, is actually washed, it's then chopped into really fine flakes. And those flakes are then melted into pellets and the pellets are then extruded into a polyester fiber. And from there, that recycled polyester fiber is nearly identical to virgin polyester in terms of performance and everything that it can do. So we're going through that process of using recycled polyester as opposed to a virgin polyester or other synthetic textile. From the recycled cotton aspect of things, again, a lot of it is post-industrial waste. So it's other manufacturers' scraps that they would normally send to the landfill. We collect a lot of those. We also take a lot of post-consumer waste as well. The post-consumer is a a bit more intricate, and that's what you find with a lot of our our closed-loop program where you have you know, different blends coming in and various things, but we we actually take the the, the recycled cotton, goes through the same process of, of cleaning it in the sense that like, you know, if there's zippers, buttons, anything like that, that, that's of course removed. If there's a screen print, it has to be cut out. But then we actually take the recycled cotton fibers and break them down. So you're essentially like shredding up the shirts and then mixing it with other fiber being that polyester fiber to create you know strength in, in the fiber before it's then spun into yarn. And all of that recycled cotton that we use is sorted by color before the yarn is spun. So 
that goes back to the water and energy savings by sorting it all by color, the yarn is actually pre-colored. So if we're making a blue shirt, we're taking a bunch of blue cotton scraps that were from other textiles, blending it with the recycled polyester, spinning it into yarn, then knitting it into fabric and cutting and sewing it into a t-shirt. So I, I guess to answer your question, like we have to go through this sorting and cleaning process and then breaking the material down to then rebuild it back into another fiber that we can then spin into yarn. And then when you accept clothing back, so like you mentioned earlier, you would accept if someone sent a recover shirt back and you would re-enter it into the supply chain system. Mm-hmm. Um, how does that work then? Is it the same process as it would be for the cotton or no, because it may already be a mixed material? No, it's actually the same process as it, as it would be with, with the cotton. So those fibers are broken down and then, you know, we look at the, the quality of those fibers and figure out what we need to mix it with. Do we need more recycled cotton to go into it? Do we need more recycled polyester? And that's kind of where the art of, of or chemical processing of it kind of takes place of like figuring out, all right, this is the blend that we need to give it enough strength to be a fiber that we can use again. So when the shirt comes in, it's broken down and created into to fiber again. Okay, cool. That makes a lot of sense. I know (laughs) just from learning about textiles Mm -hmm. and uh, making clothing specifically that there tends to be a lot of waste in that textile production process. And you said that you use some of that waste in making some of your apparel, like from other places. Mm -hmm. But how do you avoid waste when you are making new products? Yeah, so so the beauty of our supply chain in in using post-industrial cotton scraps is that when we have scraps in our own cutting room, we can literally just put that back into the supply chain. But like those cutting scraps to us are really valuable materials. So we have a great benefit from that standpoint where we don't have, you know, any, the way it's inevitable that you're going to have waste when you're, when you're cutting patterns and, you know, it's just part of the process, but we, we are able to take that waste and put it back into to our supply chain. The other thing that we really try to focus on is adding products into our line that are in our line for a long period of time. So if you're thinking about like dead stock and other waste that would be created, we're really like the antithesis of fast fashion. We try to build products that are going to be in our line for years. So if we're making a color, we're going to continue to make it and we don't run into issues with dead stock. That's really beneficial because it fits into our company DNA and ethos. It's also, in my opinion, a really good way to do business because you don't have a bunch of dead stock that you're trying to get rid of. So it's kind of a win-win in that regard. Yeah, that makes things a lot easier. (laughs) Yeah, totally. (laughs) Because this question is inevitable since you work with some synthetic fibers like polyester, I know one big issue that many people have with synthetic fibers is the microplastic shedding. So how do you combat that or I guess work around that idea? Yeah, you know, microplastic shedding is is something that we are constantly researching and working on solutions to combat that as much as we can. I think at the end of the day, any synthetic textile is susceptible to microplastics shedding. One thing that we try to put a lot of emphasis on is buying quality. So buying yarns that are really strong, that are less likely to shed and hold up a lot longer is is a great solution. There's also some things that you can do from a washing standpoint with like guppy bags and having filters to, to catch a lot of those microplastics. 
it, it's you know something that we think a lot about. And then there's there's also some technologies that we're experimenting with in terms of bio-based polyesters that would break down in the landfill and avoid the the microplastic issue. But at the end of the day, it's it's something that is real and something that we think a lot about. And the tough part, I think, with synthetic textiles is like everyone's favorite running shirt or running shorts or yoga pants, you know, whatever it might be, synthetic textiles are everywhere. And I think if you're looking at it, particularly in the outdoor industry, they're not going to go anywhere. You know, if you have someone who goes and runs a marathon, you're not going to convince them to switch back to running a marathon in cotton underwear or a cotton t-shirt. It's just not going to happen from a performance standpoint. So I think that, you know, it's really important as an industry that we continue to invest in research ways to use more bio, you know, alternatives that that do break down. And then to think about ways that we can reduce that impact in the washing cycles and things like that. So it's unfortunately, there's not like a perfect answer to say, yeah, this is this is what we do and this is how we address it. it it's a lot of different smaller things. And it's something that we, you know, constantly research and, and something that we're very aware of with with everything that we do. Part of the learning process, I'm sure. And my final question, I guess, is about greenwashing, because that microplastics kind of falls into that same category. And when it comes to recycled polyester clothing specifically, I have read a fair amount about greenwashing that. And a lot of that comes from how that original plastic is being sourced in order to make the shirts or the clothing, whatever it may be. So how do you avoid greenwashing when you're producing your products and in communicating to the customer? Yeah, I, th- I think for us, we try to be as authentic and as transparent in everything that we do. You know, we're kind of an open book in terms of, you know, how we make our products, where we make our products, what goes into them. So that's really our biggest thing in terms of avoiding greenwashing is, is just being, you know, authentic and, and true to who we are. And I think as long as we stay you know, true to those core values and follow our mission, we are avoiding greenwashing. We're not making any false claims on anything. We're being very transparent in the way that the way that we're doing things. So that's certainly one way. I, I do worry a lot about greenwashing in general for the industry because I think there is a lot of consumer demand around or there's obviously a lot of consumer demand around sustainable products. And you see other brands that it's not part of their DNA or not part of their branding or, 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 or just the way they do business, but they are trying to introduce these lines and they might, you know, muddy the water a bit and, and actually greenwash or, or cause harm to it. So from our standpoint, all we can do is, is try to be a leader in the sustainable apparel space and be as transparent and authentic as, as possible in everything that we do. And I think if we continue to do those things, you know, we'll stay true to, to our values and avoid greenwashing. Yes, absolutely. One thing that I did definitely notice about even just your website is how transparent it is. You have a lot of really great and informative graphics about the supply chain and yeah, everything is very clear. So I definitely appreciate that. Awesome. And how can people learn more about Recover Brands and your textile initiatives? 
Yeah, the best thing to do is to go to our website, which is recoverbrands.com. All of our social handles are at recoverbrands as well. So that's the best place to follow along. We have a newsletter that you can sign up for if, if it's the first time you're visiting our site. That'll kind of pop right up. And, you know, with our newsletter, we're putting out pretty regular content in terms of we do a monthly sustainability tips, which is a great thing for individuals to follow. We we do everything from how to start a compost at home, how to start an edible garden, how to recycle electronic waste, like all these sustainability tips that you can incorporate into your daily life. We also feature a lot of our partners that are very focused on sustainability as well. And then through that, you can also find we like we have a a podcast, for example, which is Be The Impact podcast, where we have a lot of guests on that are are focused on business innovation, sustainability and outdoor adventure. So that those are kind of the three pillars of that. But we just encourage anybody to visit recoverbrands.com to learn more and join the community. Awesome. Yeah, I'll have to sign up for your newsletter and I will be sure to share the links to all the socials and website in the episode notes so people can check it out there. But thank you so much for being here, Bill. I learned a lot. Meg, I really appreciate it. Great talking with you and thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. And if you like what you hear, let me know. Leave a review and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can still find me on Instagram at outdoor.minimalist.book for daily updates, other educational resources, and to help build an outdoor community with a shared goal to create a better outdoor space as we recreate.